Yeah, no, that's it. Perfect. 100%. Nailed it. So welcome to Bearded Dick's Musical Fun Time. He's the dick, I'm the beard. He mm. brings the music, I bring the fun. Truth. So, uh, we're starting off with you again this week, uh, Dick Fetty, with yeah. your uh, disco box. It's true, it's true, it's true. So, we're going to open that disco box for you. You never know what kind of creature you're going to get in the disco box. That's true. But it's going to love disco. Yeah. So, we are... So, I'm going to do something new next week for Motel Hell, which is... No, that's not even true. I'm going to cover music again, but I'm going to cover a specific history of a band. And it's our podcast, and we do what we want. Yeah. So, if you came here for the true crime, then be disappointed. But, actually, you'll probably like it, because if you're into death then you'll be into this band. So I'm going to do two recommendations from Carcass. They've got a pretty limited discography, so it's not that hard. And most of their stuff is very good. And then I'll do my third recommendation, which will be more in line with the things I've been doing recently, a.k.a. Harsh Noise. So I'm going to not go as in-depth as I might on some disco box recommendations just because we're going to do a deep dive Yeah, we're going to do a whole episode on it. On this topic. But I do, I'll just give a very brief personal history, which I'll elaborate on further on the next episode. But Carcass were one of the first metal bands I ever heard of when, like, I started to learn about, like, what metal was and the different genres and all that stuff in high school. I was a latecomer to metal. I was an electronic guy for a long time, so... Um, I just sort of, it was pre Wikipedia, pre YouTube, but like peer to peer file sharing days. And also when CD stores still existed. So like around my birthday and Christmas, I would just ask my parents to be like, Oh, these are like bands I'm interested in. Like, could you get me something, whatever? And they're like, yeah, sure. Whatever. Yeah. Basically. And my mom was like really cool, man. We had a big tower records that was near us and she would go to tower records and try to get stuff for me that I asked for. And the one I remember always is that I asked for Autiker's album Amber, which is their second album and is like this incredible album. And she came back with some uh, Euro synth pop like trans lady whose name was Amber. It was her album and it was not. <laughs> <laughs> and you loved it. Yeah, no, I never opened it. I was like, Mom, this is this is very wrong. And she was like, this is the, you said this is Amber. I was like, well, that is her name, but that's the name of the album I'm looking for. So... Um, but Watch, yeah, you're gonna stumble onto it like years from now. You're like, I'll give it a listen, and you're gonna fucking love it. Yeah, right. It's gonna turn out CD copies are like a thousand dollars. Yeah, that would be a classic Frank situation. But anyway, being one of the first metal bands I heard of when I was trying to figure out what I liked in metal, uh, I asked asked for Carcasses. I think I asked for their first two albums, but I wound up with Heartwork and with Symphonies of Sickness, which are their second and fourth album, and are sort of their both transitional albums in their own right. Although Heartwork is hugely loved now by many a listener, it was divisive at its time of release. But anyways, yeah, not going to get into that. So my first recommendation is going to be their uh, 1989 second album, Symphonies of Sickness, uh, which is a transfer between Gorgrind and more 
normal quote unquote death metal. Um, so Ben, you haven't had a ton of time with Carcass. I think I've probably played their third album for you over the years here and there. Mm-hmm. Uh, we listened to some of it tonight as a refresher, but we just listened to the fourth track, Ruptured and Perlance, which is um, from Symphonies of Sickness. What, what were your What was your take on that? I mean, as 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 far as metal goes, it's definitely up my alley. Uh, instrumentally, it's it's very what I like, where it'll go like really like nice guitar riffs to all of a sudden, boom, you're into this like wall of like blasting noise and just yeah, which is always fun and. The thing I liked about what you showed me tonight is their change-ups between the two is very clean and flawless. It doesn't seem completely abrupt, mm-hmm. which can happen in like metal of that type. Yeah. Um, but it was very clean transitions. The vocals are great. Yeah, so, so I picked this track specifically to show you because it's my favorite... Well, it's not my favorite Carcass song, but it's easily my favorite song on the album... And it's the reason why I keep coming back. So uh, the album still has a fair amount of pitch-shifted vocals, which are like more prominent on the first album, and there's still a little bit of them on the third album. But I love that shit, and it's why when I sort of got back into Gore Grind, it was an easy transition because pitch-shifted, ridiculous vocals are very cool to me. And so the song starts with this like, like just drum shit that's like pretty chill. And then it goes like, and like gets all like wild for a sec, but then it goes back into it. And then it cuts out and fucking Ken Owen, the drummer who does the super affected vocals, just comes in and just like, and it's just this like watery zombie. Gargling. Yeah, like fucking slime mess shit. And then it kicks into the song and that like, it just, it just puts a fucking smile on my face every time. And it's of all, like this album has a lot of those parts, but that song is sort of like, the the essence of the whole album for me distilled into a single track like it's very very fucking good um and and my whole part of why i recommend this album is i recommend it out of like the principle of never give up on stuff if you're if you want to be into it but you can't really decipher the sort of what's coming at you like sometimes it takes weeks months years decades to get into albums and Symphonies of Sickness is one I've chipped away at understanding for like a super long time because it was always different than what I expected it to be and still doesn't measure up to my sort of image in my mind of like what I think the album should sound like but is better better for that because it's given me like a somewhat difficult listen like and I listen to tons of extreme music so it's like I don't know why I have so much trouble at times but um, I think partially cause like when it's at its most like grindy, I like it the best. And when it's at its most death metal, like it's good, but it doesn't measure up to their right. best death metal stuff. And it switches between the two so much that it just like never gives me anything exactly the way I want it. But I like that. Like I, and so I'm here to say that it, I think I picked that up at 16 and now 15 years later, it's still an album that, well, I don't listen to it regularly, uh, when I do come back to it, I'm still like discovering new stuff in it, still like finding my way around it, still not as in touch with it as so many other albums, and I can appreciate that. Part of it's like the weird production style, like the drums are way more, like less of a major component, like the, the whole balance is weird, and it's just like, it's very good, and if you 
I mean, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably listen to metal, and if you listen to metal, you've probably heard this album, and if you uniformly love it, then that's great. If you're more on the fence like I was for a long time, then I would say give it another listen. Um, this is not a controversial take to be praising Carcass. They're like one yeah. of the most you know famous metal bands, but uh, at least for extreme metal. But I really like it, and I really like... I like the challenge that it presents to me as a listener on like a personal level, and I think on a, on a larger scale, because you... You have to take it as it is and not in a, you know, try to avoid comparing it to what it could be and what they've offered before and after. Because, like, the the two albums that are on either end of it, like, distill a type of sound so expertly, and this album sits between them so obviously. But it doesn't stop me from recommending it wholeheartedly. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. <laughs> so, to follow that up, my next recommendation is also Carcass, and it what? is yeah, it's pretty nuts. Um, it is their third album, which is Necroticism, discanting the insalubrious, which is Oof. a bit of a mouthful. Yeah, and this is one of those I saw like a just by chance review back when Discogs like main page used to just post. Uh, like, you know, new reviews that had been done. There was some review of it that was like, this is the quintessential death metal record, blah, blah, blah. And I had Symphonies of Sickness for ages, and I had Heartwork, and I thought, how have I never heard this? How did I miss this one? And then forgot about it, and like, you know, years later, basically, that always stuck in my mind, what I read, but I just never picked it up and never cared. And for a long time, like death metal was just something I wasn't into. I was like really into doom and I was really into black metal through most of college and like death metal came up here and there. But again, very shortened version of the story I'll tell on the next episode. Um, I went to a metal show, a metal punk hardcore, whatever show in DC called damage city. And Ilsa was uh, one of the first bands that played who are a sludge death metal crust band out of, the DC area and they fucking blew me away. And as a direct result of going to that show, I threw myself into getting into death metal and I picked up entombed by, or I mean, uh, left hand path by entombed. I picked up, I didn't even buy this album right away. I downloaded it a little bit into that and I picked up a, like a shitload of other stuff. I just like started filling some of the major gaps in my collection and fell in love with death metal for like the next six months. It was like everything. And now like I barely listen to black metal. I barely listen to doom. I basically only listen to death metal. Yeah, that's true anymore. And, um, I mean, Ilsa's is a good place to start too. Yeah. So. Ilsa <laughs> fucking rules. So, but yeah, so I finally downloaded this album and then I, I got it maybe like a year later for my buddy, Jared, who bought me the CD, like reissue copy. That's like remastered that has tools of the trade on it. And has a second DVD of like, I guess like a live show or something. I don't, I don't never check that out. Uh, and then I, I was at a hospital fest in 2017 and there was a copy of the new full dynamic range remastered version on, um, earache. And I picked that up as well. And I'm still aching to get like an original pressing of the LP, but as time goes on with these albums, like there was a limited number and they're just, their price always goes up because to get a clean copy for, a record from 1991 is going to be tough, especially yeah. for a band like this and for an album that's so worshipped. And so the the big deal with Necroticism is like, it's a straight death metal record. 
and it's significantly cleaner than many death metal records from 1991 were and it was 91 was like an, an incredible year for death metal anyway but it stands for me as it's like a it's my most listened to of my favorite death metal records and it's this and Entomb's Left Hand Path and Bolt Thrower's Realm of Chaos which is like maybe because I've been listening to Realm of Chaos longer I've listened to it more than this album but these days because I don't drink so heavily <laughs> I, I don't li live in a realm of chaos anymore so I don't constantly need the soundtrack by Bolt Thrower to remind me of like the endless war and torment that my mind is um, so necroticism like hits this perfect place and, and so part of the change is that Michael Amat joins on this album who's famous for later being an arch enemy but like really and was in Carnage prior to being in Carcass which is one of the early Swedish death metal bands um, he's got a lot of credits on the album but my understanding is that he actually barely plays anything on the album. I think he plays like one solo on the whole thing, even though he gets like a bunch of credits because uh, I think it was Bill Steer did like just all the guitar work and was like, fuck you. Or I think it was Jeff Walker actually. But anyway, it's eight songs. Every song is perfect. Every single song is like immediately perfect. A bunch of the songs start off with uh, samples of like, they sound like true crime documentary, like pathology shit. They're explaining like pathology processes or like they sound like they're samples from cops. They're all pretty short. It's not like Mortician where like the song's two minutes long and it's yeah. a minute and a half of sample. And then the songs are all in like the four to seven minute range. They're just perfect death metal songs. And part of what, a big part of what changes from Symphonies of Sickness to this besides Michael Amott is that can Owen goes from having just a single bass pedal for his bass drum to having a double bass pedal and significantly cleaner drum production so you can hear that so his drums are fucking amazing and like really it's it's dynamic drumming that's not just all blast beats or not anything else it has a sort of early cryptopsy type of not to the level of extremity that they go to but having this real ability to accent and elevate the music far beyond what it is like it's 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 really nice drumming in that way and then the guitar layers are just insane like some so of the tracks have 12 layers of guitars it's more like technique guitars. over flair yeah it's yeah so it's yeah he's not like a super showy drummer like he doesn't have a lot of like jazzy style embellishments like Flo Morner does in early Cryptopsy but he has he has like he's very in sync and he plays in a sort of it's almost I can't think of the name of the drummer from the police but it's that sort of where he creates this perfect rhythmic bed for everybody else to rely on but also his consistency he has a certain panache but it's not showy like it's just really good um, and he his vocals I think show up on like two songs on the whole thing which is a goddamn shame because I love his watery affected vocals uh, but the the songwriting is just fucking awesome and they write like every single riff is memorable and then on top of that they have killer like soaring clean solos that are perfectly mixed in with the album and i could like i said i mean every single fucking track on this album is top tier you can't go wrong i like the b-side slightly better on the whole because it starts with incarnated solvent abuse which is like one of the top tier carcass anthems and then the last two songs, which are 
uh, Lyser Guide composition and then Forensic Clinicism slash the Sanguine article are, it's like the ultimate one-two punch. And when I got into this album in 2011, I was unable to drink because I had a bracelet that monitored whether I was drinking or not, and the state of New York said that I was not allowed to do it for 90 days. You fucking denizen. Yeah, so I was doing an insane amount of drugs, and mostly DXM, and my playlist was basically set up so that as I would peak and completely fall out, it was the last two songs from this album. And I was basically listening to nothing but death metal. So imagine like four and a half hour, like ultra intense DXM trips every other night that are like soundtracked by Carcass and like fucking it's Connie. Most like, of that I don't have to imagine. I've been there. Yeah, yeah. So like I, I was I was living on the mental edge and, and then going to law school and um oh my god. And those last two songs, the Sanguine article has this whole it, it, the the first half of the track which is like i guess kind of its own song is fucking amazing and would be perfect by itself but then it drops in tempo and gets into this whole last section where it's just like and then like then it drops into this the final solo of the album is this just like slow like soaring and it I just, I said to Ben before we were listening to this, like, I just get eargasms every time. Like, it's just, it, and, oh, it's, it is so fucking good. And it, the, one of the nice things about it is that we all know those albums that are either front loaded or back loaded with, like, the best songs. Mm-hmm. And you just wind up, like, either listening to the first 20 minutes of an album and then turning it off or skipping the first two thirds and getting to that last bit. Uh, this is an album where, for as much as I want to jump to song seven and then do that seven eight like one two punch, I always start at the beginning, or I almost always start at the beginning because it's so good. And like the journey to get to that last fucking slow solo is so incredible and so just rewarding on every level. And you know, is one of those where I feel like I just have to spend a lot more time with you. I gotta, I gotta get you. Well, I mean, listening to um, the song off that album that we did and reading the lyrics, and I did peek at some of the other lyrics for the rest of the album, and, li- like, the lyrics mixed with the instrumentals on that... What was the name of that song? Uh, the Sanguine Article. So, the Sanguine Article. Um, it doesn't, like, just paint a picture. Like, it's a whole story. Like, you feel like you go on a journey for that whole song of this guy's killing somebody. Yeah. Very surgically, too. And, like, it's very, like... Lyrically, it's very well done. But the the lyrics and the instrumentals mesh really well for that point. That, like, you're going through this whole thing. And this is an experience and not just, like, a fucking love song or some bullshit. Yeah. And one of the things that I failed to mention, because, again, we're going to get into it next time, is Carcass is famous. One of their initial claims to fame was that they... Their song titles and their lyrics for their first three albums were largely based on them just reading shit out of medical textbooks like crazy. And so they're just all these like super long titles and super ridiculous, ultra technical terms. And as far as I have a really bad ear for picking up lyrics, like exceptionally bad. And as a lyricist and vocalist, it's like always cracks me up because I can't even remember my own fucking lyrics half the time, let alone like pick them out of somebody's song. Not being drunk all the time has hugely helped my ability yeah. to do that. It'll do that, yeah. Yeah, but um, 
But Carcass is one of those bands where, like, good fucking luck because the songs are not lyrically structured or, like, the and the lyrics themselves are not your standard fare. So it's, like, yeah. you're basically having to memorize, like, a s- slew of medical terms in a row. And, um, you know, and a million bands have bit that style since. But, but yeah, so that, I mean, that album is... It's so hard for me to pick, like, top ten albums of all time because, you know, I could be listening to ISO and just thinking, like, she's the greatest artist ever because uh, Tay, 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 Tay is, like, this one song by her with Michio Kurihara on backup psych guitar, and it's just, like, fucking amazing. And I'm listening to it thinking, is there better music than this? And then, then it'll be fucking, I don't know, 3-6 Mafia the next day, and I'm like, oh, my God, like... Play Haters is the greatest rap song ever <laughs> written, and you know, so nothing I nothing gets better than this. Yeah, I, I tend to get hyped on the thing that I'm currently enjoying, and and so, but this is certainly it's one of my favorite albums ever. Like it is, it's taken a huge place in my. We, well, we we've talked about it on the podcast before. We go through phases of things, yeah. right? And like at that point in that phase, it is the greatest thing ever to touch Earth. Yeah, I think. As far as movies go, probably Giallo is the hardest one that we go into. Like, oh, yeah. At least a few times a year. Yeah. And especially come come August slash September, man. Yeah. It really gets nuts. But, yeah, it, 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 you know, the way that these things show up for us, or at least for me with music, is, like, once I figure out my favorites in a genre or a style or, like, you know, some, some overall arching theme that I have, whatever then, like, there are those, like, top three or top five albums that'll just get played, like, no matter how many years have passed since I, like, perfected a sort of mood and aesthetic and whatever, uh, you know, whether it's death metal or it's or it's a bunch of other combinations of things. If I need a good death metal record that I want to listen to that I don't have to think about that I just immediately enjoy, like, Necroticism is the first day number one pick. And then Realm of Chaos is right below that because Realm of Chaos is another album where, like, every single song is good. Every fucking riff is just, like, a honey in my ears. Mm, So tasty. Yeah, and when they do their goddamn dive bomb solos and it just sounds like fucking, like, fighter planes, like, on fire, just spiraling rapidly to the ground, it's just, it's real good. But, um, yeah. So that's my, that's my second recommendation. Highest recommendation. One of the like most recommended things I could ever recommend. Listen to it or you're an idiot. Yeah. Uh, and then lastly, I want to end with my third recommendation is Encina Falafonic. Talk about a mouthful. Uh, Italian harsh cut up noise artist. He put out a collab or rather a compilation CD last month, I guess it was now more like a compilation or it could have been the end of February. But it's out on Industrial Recollections and Audio Dissection. Or, or is it Freak Animal Proper? I'll, info will be in the bio. But anyway, it is a compilation of his tracks from basically all the seven inches he did on his own label, which is Audio Dissection, and then one unreleased song and the track for the bonus CD of Noise War. And if you're into harsh cut-up noise, he's one of the best people doing it right now. It's, like, him, a bunch of really good Japanese guys, and then Sickness still kills it, even though he's not, barely records anything anymore. And there's TEF and Alzagalzaga. I gotta give Alzagalzaga credit. But I, I, in Cinephalophonic, he does a couple things that I love. One is, it's hyper-clean, 
but just not too clean. Like it's almost on the verge of like, this is a computer level cleanliness, but it doesn't quite hit it. Um, all of his records basically are adorned with images of either super damaged chicks or super hot chicks and generally both. And I feel like a fair amount of the images are ones he's taken. So I appreciate that level of authenticity to it. Uh, yeah. And then his, his noise is ultra negative in a way that a lot of other noise can be more image and aesthetic, like textually oriented or more abstract or whatever. His stuff is like very personal or sexual or sexually personal or personally sexual and, or like drug in a psychiatric drug kind of way. And like, it just, and his samples too are very power electronics instead of just rando stuff and in that way he distinguishes himself in my mind from especially the Japanese guys who are sort of the most famous or some of the most famous for cut up noise and just create something that is very much at home on Freak Animal which he's done a lot of co-releases with and very much at home on like the whole aesthetic he's conjured with audio dissection and it's just this ultra brutal ultra precise like death by a thousand cuts happening uh you know a thousand cuts every second like it's just this non-stop cavalcade of electricity like shooting through your balls while you're just getting like decimated by tiny pieces of metal that are flying through your eyes and then you know somebody's beating you with a crowbar i don't know why this is making me horny right and it's it's very good and then he'll just like drop in like a quick sample of an acoustic guitar or like samples of abuse victims talking about their abuse and like all sorts of other like horrible especially shit with like kids and it's just like oh bummer and then it just like <laughs> kicks into the next thing and yeah i really dig it i mean his this is not my favorite record in the sense of it's 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 a compilation and it, his style is so consistent and his talent is so consistent that it works well as a CD because it still has the playtime of an album and the songs like go together well enough. But when you listen to, for my taste, I think X is still my favorite album he's done thus far. That has a real clear structure of album and has like nice tracks that sort of take it down a notch and other ones that kick it back up. Uh, this doesn't have that, but all, all things considered, it's still a fantastic CD. Definitely worth buying. You know, don't just torrent this shit. This is it's really fucking good, and I I support like I, at this point in the past year and a half since I've really gotten into him, I just a hundred percent will blind buy anything he puts out and absolutely support everything he's doing on audio dissection. So that's high praise from you. Yeah, I, I don't blind buy many people, but I'm. 100% convinced of his skill and um, he doesn't release a ton of shit so I assume what's coming out is good nice yeah so that's my those are my disco box recommendations you gonna close the box <laughs> so anyone who knows us and the video games we're into shouldn't be entirely surprised by what is going to be my best buy of the week and honestly might end up being my best buy of the year at least in the video game category it's maybe gonna be hard to beat yeah maybe i'll eventually move home to the video game category but yeah whatever i don't care people love video games yeah, yeah. um so sekiro 
Shadows Die Twice mm. by From Software and uh, Activision. Is that the other publisher? They're the publisher, yeah. Which, yikes, I, yeah, know. I know. Activision sucks, but From Software rules. Is just anything they put out is so good. Well, so, so a lot of what they put out is very good. Okay, well, let me. Everything they've put out has gotten very high praise. Yeah. Well, so no, they put out they put out Armored Core. And Armored Cores are not games. They have a devoted fan base, but they're not but anyway. Real gamers agree. Anyway. <laughs> big if true. Yeah, big if true. So let me let me go to like a little background with my experience from, from software. So I had not played any of their games until I picked up Bloodborne. And I've played a lot of Bloodborne, and I've watched Dick Fetty play a lot of Bloodborne in front of me as well. Uh, we've spent at least 100 hours in Bloodborne. Um, Easy. Yeah, we, we played a lot of that game. And then I kind of, like, I, I got a copy of Dark Souls 3. I played a little bit of it. It was kind of like, meh. And then ended up um, selling it back to GameStop so I could buy some other game. So... Then the hype for Sekiro started to happen at E3, like a year or two ago, whenever they announced it. And I was like, that looks really fucking cool. Um, and we talked about on our... A, a recent Motel Hell episode about how um, that game struck me, the visuals from it before it came out, before either of us had played it, remind me a lot of Ninja Scroll. So... I don't even know how many hours I'm into the game. I haven't beaten it by any stretch of the imagination, but it's one of those games that you don't need to beat to fully appreciate. Yeah. Now, it is a larger departure from, like, Dark Souls and Bloodborne, whereas Dark Souls is very, like, attack and defense-based, and there's classes, and, you know, it's, it's, it's a big RPG, just like Bloodborne is, but Bloodborne's a lot more aggression-based. Like, you want to keep attacking, your health drops... If you keep attacking, you'll get some of that health back. So it's much more aggression and, and not really defense. Well, I, I would... And just to clarify my own personal experience, I, I, I feel like Dark Souls has more RPG elements to its like action-adventure or whatever you want to call it, like action, 3D action gameplay. There's a lot of sort of stat decisions to make on how you level up and progress your character... And the classes are not so static. They really don't matter what you pick in the beginning because you're allowed to level up and put points in anything you want. And right. It's mostly baseline stuff. And Bloodborne, Bloodborne streamlines that greatly. Like, they take away tons of different stat interplays in order to make a game that's more about... Uh, that's more streamlined and more about, like, getting in there rather than a bunch of other shit, which generally I prefer. I like that a lot, although... I love in Dark Souls 2 making super specific decisions, but, but yeah. So, I mean, I, I personally can't comment on, like, Dark Souls so much versus Bloodborne, but I can comment on Bloodborne versus Sekiro, and it's not, it's like those games, but at the same time, it's completely and utterly different, and I was telling Dick Fetty when um, we both started playing the game that, to me, it's very much a fighting game um you you know it's it's all about blocking and parrying and moving and knowing when to attack and the one aspect i really like about it which i think they capture beautifully is the idea of two people 
um, with samurai swords facing off against each other. Because it's not about, like, in a, like a lot of samurai movies and movies with samurai swords, there are these long-winded sword fights, right? And, like, they'll take a bunch of cuts and everything. But in reality, samurai fights were, like, there'd be, like, a block and then a kill shot. Pretty yeah. much all there, there. One person would make a mistake, and there'd be a kill shot. And that's what this game is about. While your enemy does have a life bar, that's not generally what you're going after. You're looking f- to break their posture and go for that death blow. Now the and the the bosses are a little bit different because you definitely need to whittle down their life and tire them out, so to speak, mm. to get that death blow. But normal enemies, it's you know, it's really like quickly being able to throw off their posture and take them out in whatever way possible. Yeah, I still think that... And from my perspective, if you look at, like, 60s and 70s Chambara and Jigadeki Japanese films, I think that they mostly follow the more traditional format of it's a single blow kills. Right. And it's really more of anime that has taken the idea of people who are able to take multiple sword jabs, stabs, and whatever... Although there are exceptions to that, and often it's the main characters can take a hit or two more than most. Although, you look at a lot of, like, Akira Kurosawa's Doshiro Mifune collaborations, and... Well, I don't want to spoil endings for any movies, even though they're fucking 50 and 60 years old, so go see them and whatever. But, like, most of them don't have anything that's too outside of the normal realms of, if you get stabbed by a sword, you die. Um, Yeah. You know... And I, but I, I like that Sekiro for my own. So I'm playing it as well, um, in case our listeners didn't know. It, it walks the line between anime. It walks the line between Ninja Scroll or other things and yeah, those and, movies a lot. And I don't know if you have any experience with the manga, and I know you haven't seen the movie. And I think there was also an anime. I'm not sure, but it also plays on tropes from um, Blade of the Immortal. Mm. Uh, but at the same time, like the, for, like the enemies aren't crazy monsters for the most part. Like you're fighting off generals and like other ninja. You're a ninja in the game. I don't think I mentioned that. You're not a samurai. You are a ninja. Yeah. Um, and you know the thing I, one of the things I find very interesting is the stealth aspect too, which is you know not that different from other games like it does have like a pretty tenchu feel to it but you know that and mind you if this were like not a from software game this like opinions might differ on this but like that ability to really go against bosses mini bosses and enemies in general in a different way is really fleshed out nicely yeah i think it has uh it has a level of fluidity of in and out of being in stealth that is what most, like, pure stealth games don't have, because it's like, if you fuck up the stealth, you're fucked. Like, this, it, it very much allows you to either rehide or engage in combat or do any of those things successfully in a way that reminds me of uh, Wolfenstein, The New Order, mm-hmm. or whatever, like, the, the Wolfenstein... The one that brought it back, where like it's great when you're doing all the stealth stuff, but if you fuck it up, you just gun everybody down. Yeah, I mean, so. but that's the thing in Tenchu. If you fuck up the stealth, like you can still get away with it, but like your main point your of attack is yeah. gonna run and hide. Yeah. And in in this versus like you know Dark Souls and Bloodborne, uh, it's a crowd control is a lot harder. Yeah. Uh, because a lot combat is close. It's you you know you're not you have to concentrate on blocking and attacking. 
in such a way that, like, if you're throwing someone's um, posture off, you're not going to be able to protect yourself from behind at all. And the other thing is there are no invincibility frames while you're dodging. Yeah, but there are, you do get them while you're in the middle of a death blow. Yes, you do. So for a lot of enemies, it's like two attacks, you break their posture and you go in for a death blow. But if you, if you dog that in any way, then you're fucked. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't want to get, should we even talk about like the death system? No, I don't think we need to. The only thing you really need to know is that it's right there in the title. You can essentially die twice. Yeah. Before you have to respawn. You have lanterns or bonfires or, in this game, Buddhas, like you do in all the other From Software games, but as always, environmentally, From Software does beauty in all of their games, and this is beautiful. It's so much fun running around with that fucking grappling hook. Yeah. And especially when you're, like, kind of, like, off the side and, like, on the side of the mountain or, like, you find, like, a little secret path, it feels so rewarding yeah um it, it's you know this game has made me be like i really need to check out the dark Souls series like i really need to put some time and effort into that because you know when i played them i was at a point where like i didn't really want to have something that was challenging like i just wanted to yeah. sit down and play a video game but you know i'm an adult and i need something that's going to take up more of my time and feel more rewarding than let's say kingdom hearts 3 yeah well, I think one of the things that FromSoft managed to do consistently is they they allow for a deliberate style of pacing and revelation of both the stories and the mechanics and the world itself visually in a way that is consistently rewarding and allows you to like take a break and smell the roses and look around you and say, wow... And then with such an incredible attention to detail that when you really stop to do it, then you think, holy shit. And because most of their stories are uh, obfuscated as far as anything other than like one or two major points, you know, it, it's up to the community or the person to sort of figure out and fill in all the details and, and look at all the lore in the world and piece it together in a way that's not just like constantly having cutscenes and info dumps. And one of the best aspects of Dark Souls and why I would recommend the series to anybody is besides that it has a level of challenge that goes beyond just a video game but like challenges you to play video games differently or which has been rewarding for me in all subsequent video games it has an incredible sense of like journey and discovery with it especially the first one I mean any of them are like that but because I started on Dark Souls the first Dark Souls, not Demon Souls, but the first Dark Souls, it that game kills it at every turn. I mean, that's that's why I think most people or a lot of people say Dark Souls is the best of all the Souls games, unless you're a really big fan of Bloodborne like me, which has sort of converted me. But the first Dark Souls has the perfect world in the way that it's set up, and you know, constantly is showing you things that you wind up at later and not even expecting it, and then you're like, holy fucking shit, and then you're looking off some vista, and then you wind up in the place that you saw, like, you know, 40 hours ago and three bosses ago, and then you wind up on some new shortcut path and get back there, and the way that the game is so deliberate and forces you to slow everything down is so rewarding, because then as you inch your way through the world and become, like, not even a master, but at least, like, semi-competent, 
in it, it's just like, holy fuck. And, and, and especially because of the whole nature of like, you're this insignificant speck of like, just a piece of ember that's like slowly going out in a world that's slowly going out surrounded by like desolation. Yeah. And I mean, the thing, thing that's different for me, like the versus like the blood soul series and everything is that like, they were masters of visual storytelling in the game. Even if you didn't read the flavor text, like you saw things that like you could kind of piece together. Sekiro isn't that much with that. It's just more like, uh, setting porn for the yeah. most part there it is much more story based than their other games um but it's still relatively yeah no i mean like there it, there are things you can notice and see like you know but it's not as like wholly apparent but the thing that that does is it allows the combat to really take center stage in the game yeah. Which is really what the, the is like the main thing of the game is the combat. Like when you were over when we were playing, you know, like a week or two ago, um, I ran down this alley and got surrounded by two samurai and I fucking I parried the one guy, the other guy was coming behind me, I jumped, vaulted off his head, got behind him, death blowed him, the other guy was ready for a death blow and I death blowed him. And it was one of the coolest looking things I've ever done in a fucking video yeah. game. And made my peener so hard. Yeah, the combat is extremely satisfying. And because it's based on, like... It, it has the classic Dark Souls or Soulsborne idea of any enemy can kill you easy enough. So you always have to be on your toes. But you very rapidly get to a place where most enemies require more thought than Mash R1. And so it all becomes this dance of, like, parrying, sidestepping, jumping, attacking... And you can't just be good at breaking blocks and all that stuff, because some enemies, they'll never run out of postures, so then you have to be on the attack on top of it. And it really pushes you always to be at your best, and it's not ultra unforgiving, but you really gotta be in it. And then when you hit your fucking stride and you're like, parry this, that, and the other, like, it's like so fucking, you just feel good. You're like, ah, oh, man, I'm doing it. Yeah, well, I'll just discuss, like, the first, like, two bosses real quick which really won't take away from the game but yeah and if you want to play it and have it then just don't listen to this part yeah just don't listen to this part skip ahead a bit but um so i can't remember the guy's name but the guy on the horse mm. you you jump down this battlefield and this giant dude on a giant fucking horse fucking comes out with his like spear axe jonski and that battle is like a lot of deflecting and then chasing right um but you know, it's, it's, so your second, like, real boss challenge is Madam Butterfly. And I was playing her like I was playing the original boss, the first boss on the horse, where I was, like, trying to bide my time and, and, like, read her moves and do that stuff better. You gotta and I couldn't, yeah, I, I couldn't fucking beat her. And then I was like, I gotta, I gotta go about this a new way. And I got pissed off. And I just fucking stuck on her like white on rice. I wouldn't let her jump in the air. And if she did jump in the air, I'd knock her down from it using something that I'm not going to say. If you guys are listening to this part but are going to play the game, you got to figure that shit out for yourself. Um, and I fucking decimated her. I didn't lose a fucking life. I only used like two health fucking the, the fucking healing gourd twice. Which, she's a pretty, you know, she's not an easy boss. So... But that rewarding feeling that, you know, people talk about when they're playing Dark Souls or Bloodborne, like, you get that in this game, 
and the combat feels so like heavy and chunky and good. And, like it feels like you're fucking combating. Like when you go to fucking hit somebody and they deflect you, like you feel that shit. Yeah. So I definitely highly recommend the game. I can almost guarantee you it's going to be my game of the year. Um, although I think the second Hollow Knight might be coming out this year, so we'll fucking see. Mm. Um, but yeah, man, go out. I mean, it's sixty bucks. It's a full price game, but go out and play it. Um, you will get hours of enjoyment, and if you play it and you're like, this should have an easy mode, the game's not for you. No, it just, you have to change your expectations. Like, you need to get your shit in gear and say, maybe I should step up as a player. But it is hard because, for for me, I played it, I got a little bit in the first week I owned it, and I've barely played it since, partially because it's the kind of game where I really... It's hard for me if I'm not really in sync with the game, then I need at least an hour to warm up and remember what the fuck I'm doing. And yeah, since I, totally I barely that. get that much time to ever play video games on any given day, I haven't played it. That's the thing. I'll hit like one day I'll hit a stride and I'll take out like a boss and like two or three mini bosses. And then next time I'll play, I'll make zero fucking progress. Yeah. And then the time I play after that, I'll take out two main bosses and then fucking like the boss I'm on right now, which I'm not going to mention what it is or where it is, I was, like, on this high. I beat a couple mini-bosses. I beat Madam Butterfly. I'm like, I'm fucking good to go. Let's see. And I knew there was a, a fucking boss in this one area, and I was like, I'm going to fucking find this motherfucker, and I'm going to destroy him. And I go in there, and he's just like, shink, shink, and I'm fucking dead. Two hits. He was so fucking quick, I couldn't even block him, and I was like, oh, no. Oh, no. I'm going to put this down for right now. I'm going yeah. to take a little break. But, yeah, it definitely is a game that's it's it's taxing. Um, honestly, like, I know I've been talking some shit on Kingdom Hearts 3, but, like, if I'm if if I'm having some issue and I'm getting too frustrated with that game, I'm, I just switch over to Kingdom Hearts 3 and have a fun time with Goofy and Donald. Mm. So, I mean, it is worth the pickup. And if you start playing and you fucking suck, guess what? So does everybody else. Yeah, get good. So just... Keep plugging away at it. It's just like any other skill. Like, you will learn how it goes. And luckily in this versus, like, Bloodborne and Dark Souls, there are some, like, training area. There's a training area you can do, and they do give you a pretty in-depth explanation as to, like, all the mechanics. And every time you get a new one, you can go to said training area and practice with it. Yeah, so. Kill yourself. Ha ha. Ha ha. Kill yourself. So, yeah. That is my best buy of the week. Love that. Great. But no, seriously, I agree. It is a good buy. It is the best buy. But that's all we have as far as buys and disco, but also energy and time. It is very late. Tonight's episodes ran long, but it was worth it to bring you these hard-hitting reports from the field. Yeah, and we're starting to get into that. It's really hot in the recording room phase again. Oh, yeah. So. I know. This is just a precursor to the fucking ball sweat dripping pooled at your feet nightmare realm that will exist in for three months. Yeah. You can tell because Dick Fetty's got heroin voice. Yeah. Um, Dick Fetty is Motel Hell. Mm. All right. You can find us on the Instagram at Motel Hell Podcast. You can find us on the Facebook at Motel Hell Podcast. You can email us at Motel Hell Podcast at gmail.com. Please, if you would, write a review and rate us on iTunes. You can do the same on our SoundCloud, which is Motel Hell Podcast. And that's all we got for you this week. Later, nerds. Later.